Part One, Section One of *The Spirit of Sweetwater* by Hamlin Garland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Roger Moline. *The Spirit of Sweetwater* by Hamlin Garland. Part One, The Mystery of Mountains. As the sun sinks and the canyons deepening in color add mystery to silence, then the lone traveler lying outstretched beneath the silent pines on some high range watches and listens in ecstasy of fear and timorous admiration. In the roar of the stream he catches the reminiscent echo of colossal cataracts. In the cry of the cliff bird, he thinks he hears the eagle scream or yowl of far-off mountain lion. In the fall of a loose rock, he fancies the menacing footfall of the grizzly bear. And in the black deeps of the lower canyon, his dreaming eyes detect once more prodigious lines of buffalo crawling snake-wise athwart the stream, or files of Indian warriors winding downward to the distant plain where campfires gleam like stars. Part One, The Spirit of Sweetwater Chapter One One spring day, a young man of good mental furnishing and very slender purse walked over the shoulder of Mount Magallan and down the trail to Gold Creek. He walked because the stage fare seemed too high. Two years and four months later, he was pointed out to strangers by the people of Sweetwater Springs. "'That is Richard Clement, the sole owner of The Witch, a mine valued at three millions of dollars.' This in itself was truly an epic. Sweetwater Springs was a village in a canyon, out of which rose two wonderful springs of water whose virtues were known throughout the land. The village was wedged in the canyon, which ran to the mighty breast of Magallan like a fold in a king's robe. The village and its life centered around the pavilion which roofed the spring, and Clement spent his evenings there in order to see the people, at least, as they joyously thronged about the music stand and sipped the beautiful water, which the Utes long, long ago called sweet water and visited with reverence and hope of returning health. Since the coming of his great wealth, Clement had not allowed himself a day's vacation, and he had grown ten years older in that time. There were ultimately signs of age in his hair and in the troubled lines of his face. He was a young man, but he looked a strong and stern and careworn man to those whose attention was called to him. He was a conscientious man, and the possession of great wealth was not without its gravities. For the first time he felt it safe to leave his mine in other hands. He had a longing to mix with his kind once more, and in his heart was the secret hope that somewhere among the women of the springs he might find a girl to take to wife. He arranged his vacation for July, not because it was ever hot at the creek, but because he knew the springs swarmed at that time with girls from the States. 
It would have troubled him had anyone put these ideas into words and accused him of really seeking a bride. He was a self-unconscious man naturally, and he hardly realized yet how widely his name had gone as the possessor of millions. He supposed himself an unnoticed atom as he stood at the spring on the second night of his stay in the village. Of a certainty many did not know him, but they saw him, for he was a striking figure, a handsome figure, though that had never concerned him. He was, in fact, feeling his own insignificance. He was standing there in shadow, looking out somberly upon the streams of people as they came to take their evening draught at the wonderful water of the effervescing spring. The sun had gone behind the high peaks to the west, and a delicious dry coolness was in the canyon. It seemed to Clement to be a very fashionable and leisurely throng, so long had he been absent from people either modish or easeful. He felt himself to be hopelessly outside all this youth and brilliancy and merriment, and he looked upon it all with a certain wistfulness. He perceived at length that the strollers were not all of the same conditions. There were rough brown cowboys from La Junta and Cajon, and miners in rough dress down from the gulches for a night, but mainly the promenaders appealed to him with elegance of dress and manner. Many of the ladies came without hats, which added to the charm of their eyes and hair. Some of them looked twice at the tall man with the big mustache and broad hat who seemed to be watching for some tardy friend. As he studied them, his memory freshened and he came to understand them better. He analyzed them into familiar types. This was a banker and his wife from some small town. The wife fussy and consequential, the husband coldly dignified. This group was composed of a doctor and his daughters. Behind them came a merchant from some Nebraska town, he rough of exterior, his children dainty of dress and very pretty. Occasionally a group of college-bred girls came up without escort, alert, self-helpful, and serene. They saw Clement at once, and studied him carefully as they drank their beauty cup at the circular bench before the spring. All good-looking men had interest to them. All classes came, a varied stream, yet they were western, and of the well-to-do condition for the larger part. The deft boy swung the glasses of water on his tripartite dipper with ceaseless splash and clink. There was a pleasant murmur of talk in which an eastern listener would have heard the R sound well defined. There were many couples seated about the pavilion on the benches and railings. It was all busy, yet tranquil. Each loiterer had fed, had taken his draught of healing water, and this was the hour of pleasant gossip and repose. Clement fell at last to analyzing the action of the boy who supplied the water at the pool. He slammed the glasses into the pool and set them on the bench with a click as regular as a pump. Occasionally, however, he was indifferent. With some of his customers he handled the glasses as if they contained nectar, 
thus indicating his generous patrons. Once he stopped and dipped the glass into the pool with his own hand, a doubtful action, and extended it with a bow to a young lady who said, thank you, so sweetly that he blushed and stammered in reply. All this fixed Clement's attention, and as the young girl lifted the glass in her slim hand, he wondered how she had escaped his notice for a single moment. A woman at his side said sighfully, "'There is that consumptive girl again. She hasn't long to stay.' She was as pale, as fragile, and as lovely as the mountain columbine. Her face was thin, and her head shapely. But her eyes! They burned like rarest topaz, deep, dark, and sad. Clement shivered as he felt them fixed upon him, and yet he could not turn away as he should have done. He gazed at her with a sudden feeling which was not awe nor compassion nor love, but was all of these. He felt in his soul the subtlest sadness in all the world, the sadness of a strong man who looks upon a beautiful young girl who is dying. Extremist languor was in every movement. She was dressed in dark, soft garments, very simple and graceful in effect, and her bearing was that of one accustomed to willing service from others. Her smile was as sad as her eyes, which had in them the death shadow. Clement's action, the unwavering, self-forgetful intentness of his look, arrested her attention and she returned his gaze for an instant, and then turned away and took the arm of an elderly gentleman who stood beside her. She moved slowly, as an invalid walks when for the first time she is permitted a short walk in the outdoor air, leaning heavily on her companion. The big miner roused himself and stood straight and tall, hesitating whether to follow or not. A sudden, singular pain in his heart as if he were losing something very close to his life. He obeyed the impulse to follow, and moved down the path, just out of reach of observation, he fancied. As he made way through the crowd, he grew aware again of his heavy limbs, of his great height, of his swinging, useless hands. It had been so long since he had mingled with a holiday company, he appeared as self-conscious as a boy. Once the fair invalid turned and looked back, but she was too far away for him to discern the expression of her face. He was not possessed of self-esteem enough to believe she had turned to look for him. He followed them in their slow pace till they turned in at the doorway of the principal hotel of the village. They entered at the ladies' door while he kept on to the main entrance and rotunda. There was no elevator in the house, and the invalid paused a moment before attempting the stairway. It was pitiful to see her effort to make light of it all to her companion, who was quite evidently her father. She smiled at him, even while she pressed one slim hand against her bosom. Clement longed to take her in his arms and carry her up the stairway. It seemed the thing most worth doing in all the world. 
but he could only lean against the desk and see them go slowly stair by stair out of sight who are they he asked of the clerk whom he detected also watching them with utmost the same breathless interest chicago merchant g b ross that's his daughter she's pretty far gone consumption i reckon it looks tough to see a girl like that go off you'd think now clement did not remain to hear the clerk moralize further he went immediately to his own hotel paid his bill and ordered his baggage sent to the other house he wondered at himself for this overpowering interest in a sick girl and at his plan to see her again he reasoned that he would be able to see her at breakfast time provided she came down to breakfast and provided he hit upon the same hour of eating he began to calculate upon the probable hour when she would come down it was astounding how completely she occupied his thought already he struck off up the canyon where no sound was other than the roar of the wild little stream which seemed to lift its voice in wilder clamor as the night fell its presence helped him to think out his situation he had grown self-analytical during his life in the camp where he was alone so far as his finer feelings were concerned and he had come to believe in many strange things which he said nothing about to any friend he had he had come to believe in fate and also in intuition a powerful impulse to do he counted higher than reason that is to say if he had a powerful impulse to run a shaft in a certain direction he would so act no matter if his reason declared dead against it the hidden and uncontrollable processes of his mind had given him the secret of the witch's gold had led him right in his shafting and in his selection of friends and assistants and had made him a millionaire at thirty-seven years of age he was prone to overvalue the intuitional side of his nature probably an error common among practical men fate was with him luck raised to a higher power what was to be would be the unexpected happened the expected hoped for labored for did not always happen all around him men stumbled upon minds while other men more skillful more observant failed the luck was against them it was quite in harmony with his nature that he should be absorbed in the singular and powerful impulse he had to seek an acquaintance with that poor dying girl dying at that word he rebelled god would not take so beautiful a creature away from earth men needed her to teach them gentleness and submission more than this he had an almost uncontrollable impulse to go to her and putting aside doctors say to her i am the one to heal you he had never had an impulse to heal before but the fact that it was unaccountable and powerful and definite fitted in with his successes he gave it careful thought it must mean something 
because it had never come to him before, and because it rose out of the mysterious depths of his brain. She must not die. The wind, the mountains, the clean air, the good, sweet water, the fragrant pines, the splendid sun, these things must help her. And I, perhaps I too, can help her? Back in the glare of the hotel rotunda, with its rows of bored men sitting stolidly smoking, idly talking, his impulse and his resolution seemed very unmanly and preposterous. It is so easy to lose faith in the elemental, in the midst of the superficial and ephemeral of daily habit. End of Part 1 Chapter 1